Good morning, church family. In Isaiah chapter 40, this is, uh, this is a passage where the Lord is speaking to His people for their comfort. And, he, and the, the chapter begins, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Uh, God's people are scattered, they're sort of rattled, they're, they're sorrowful, they're anxious about the future. And the Lord speaks this word of comfort. And, and I know many Christians and many of you maybe are feeling that way right now, that there, there's obviously a global pandemic and we're, we're feeling the effects of that. We have national, national turmoil that's sort of boiling over in, this, in, the, in our own context, and particularly as we come to this election, election season. And there are a host of other personal challenges that I know many of you are facing and others that I, I don't even know about. But the Lord comforted Israel, and He comforts us in, in several ways, but there are two that really stand out in Isaiah chapter 40. And the first one is this, the, the enduring, unfading, eternal Word of God. Uh, he says in verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. And, and the second way that He comforts His people is, is just the incomparable greatness and glory and power and grace of God. So he says in verse 18, to, to whom then will you liken God? And what likeness will you compare with Him? He says back in verse 12, Behold, the nations, not just this nation, not just the United States, not just uh, the nations around Israel, all of the nations, put them together, it's like a drop from a bucket, and they are counted as the dust on the scales. We, we need that sense of of perspective because we can we can miss that and so we just sang or we'll have sang together uh, unless Pat changes the set list before, after this recording uh, tonight but we will sing who else commands all the hosts of heaven who else can make every king bow down who else can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God listen while while national headlines can tempt us to fear while COVID cases in our flock tempt us to discouragement, brothers and sisters, we can take heart. Uh, God's Word is certain. It stands secure. We can, we can trust it. We can stand upon it. Let's, let's receive it. Even today, brothers and sisters, in this gathering, let's, let's, let's believe it. Let's proclaim it and, and, and cling to it. And also, God is glorious and He is ruling. He's ruling over all of our circumstances, whatever, wherever you find yourself today. And he, He's going to ultimately determine when we are able to speak of COVID in the past tense, and we hope for that day soon. And He's going to ultimately determine who's going to be the next president of the United States or who will be president in the next term. So we, we can trust Him. He is, he is overall. I need to remember these truths, I, I confess, because I really hoped my days of talking to a camera in an empty room uh, we're done, and and but here we are again, and it's particularly weird this time because you're going to be sitting in our church on our church campus watching this, uh, and it seems kind of backwards now, even from before. And so I hope, as you read in the email uh, on Friday that went out on Friday, we've had several folks in the in the flock who've tested positive for COVID, and 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 others who've been exposed to it in the past week. And so one of those is in my own household. Uh, Carson became sick and tested positive on Friday. He's doing fine and experiencing just mild, uh, relatively minor symptoms, mild symptoms. But it, it does mean that our own family is going to be holed up, um, trying to keep away from Carson for the next 14 days. And so you may also know Pastor Dial um, uh, tested positive uh, this past week. 
and he's dealing with the symptoms of this virus as well. So he's, he's home and he's doing okay at the time of this recording, but we certainly want to pray for his speedy recovery. And there are others as well in our church whose bodies are battling uh, th this virus with all of the God-provided immunities and, and antibodies that he's given us. And so I just want to say to you, church, though, we're, we're not shutting everything down indefinitely. That's not what this represents. We're, we're just sort of hitting the pause button for a couple of weeks here. And just to, just to minimize the, the, the risk of spread in our gatherings. And so we intend not to stop our in-person Sunday gatherings, the basic you know, assembly of the saints on the Lord's Day. And so for those who can't attend, we, we hope to be able to continue to do this over the next couple weeks, and, and then we'll all be able to return again. But it's probably going to look a little differently like today. And we realize there will probably be more joining us online over the next couple weeks like many of you are as well today. So just so you know, also for the next couple of weeks, again, in hitting that pause button, uh, not long, Lord willing, but we are going to suspend other activities and events. And so Sunday school, uh, small groups, men's and women's Bible study, the well, and those other gatherings. So we're, gonna, we're doing that, again, just for a couple of weeks, Lord willing, just to, to mitigate the chance of spread. And then our plan is to resume pick back up and keep moving forward. And so thank you for your patience and your support as we, as we walk through this time. We knew, we knew all along, I mean, we've known this for months, that there, there would probably be a, a few opportunities where we'd have to just kind of pump the brakes as we're reopening and we would, we would hit some of these bumps. And, and so we just we, we pray the Lord would help us right now. And I ask you to pray. Pray for, pray for those who are sick, that they'd be restored to health, that they would lose heart as they're kind of in, in isolation right now. Uh, pray for wisdom for our leaders and the response team as, and, as we make some of these adjustments. Pray for one another, the health of the church, uh, the, the spiritual health, the unity of the body as we're physically um, apart from one another. Uh, I would encourage you not to retreat. Don't retreat to fear. Um, if you are struggling with, with worry, anxiety, or even just discouragement, and this has kind of brought that back, back up, reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ and talk to them and, and, and pray with one another. Uh, I would encourage you to be gracious to one another uh, through this. I know we have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and opinions about this, and that's nothing wrong with that, but, but hold those loosely and, and feel free to talk with others and talk with us, but let's love one another well. Let's be patient with one another and assume the best about one another. And then finally, as I would just say we all, let's hope in the Lord together. Let's, let's look to Him, keep our eyes fixed upon Him, no matter what the days ahead bring with this or with what's going on in our nation or world. And so that's what the Lord was calling Israel to in Isaiah 40, to, comf uh, to comfort, comfort in trusting in the Lord rather than in God substitutes and idols. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with Him? And then He says, an idol? And He goes on to just dismantle uh, idolatry in that chapter. And as we just read in our text today, Eric just read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 10, the same temptation to, to idolatry the Israel of old faced, the Corinthians faced, and brothers and sisters, we face. And we're going to see that this morning. So even in, even in times of trouble and suffering and uncertainty, maybe we could say especially in those times, let's draw near to the Lord. Let's draw near in faith and in worship, as we just sang, let's come and behold Him, the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. Would you pray with me?
Lord, would you now uh, direct our gaze to you, Lord. Give us a greater confidence in the certainty, the enduring nature, the unfading nature of your word, and give us a greater vision of your glory for our good and for our comfort today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're, we're picking up right where we left off in our study of this very relevant and timely book of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. And so, and the key thought of the passage that Eric just read for us this morning, it's this, it's, it's this thought, be careful that you do not fall. Be careful that you do not fall. You see it in verse 12, take heed or watch, look out, lest you fall. I mean, when, when you have young children who are kind of finding their legs and learning to walk and learning to run, and, and you see them running across the driveway or running down the driveway, you yell, be careful. Or if you see, if you see older people that are, that are walking on slick pavement after it rained or on uneven surfaces, you, we, we, say, we say, be careful. I mean, I've heard from Pastor Dow uh, many times over the years, as, as I've heard him say this to other people, he says, as you get older, one of the main ways you can stay healthy is don't fall. Don't fall. I, I just was curious. So I went to the CDC's website. Yes, they have information there other than about COVID. And, and so these are some of the statistics. A one out of five falls results in serious injury. More than 95% of hip fractures are caused by falling. Falls are the most common causes of traumatic brain injuries. And in 2015, the total medical cost for all falls, or for falls, totaled more than $50 billion. And so if you fall, you might end up in a hospital bed for days, for weeks, and, and that can lead to other problems. And also from the CDC, it said falling once then doubles your chances of falling again. And so physically, we understand this. Be careful that you don't fall, as Pastor Dow would tell us. But just saying just saying those words, be careful, what does that speak of? It speaks of danger. It, it speaks of vulnerability. We don't say be careful to someone who's fluffing a pillow or you know, or folding you know, towels out of the dryer because there's no danger in that. We say be careful when there's, there's implied danger, there's real risk. And so when Paul says, be careful that you do not fall, that implies there is real danger, that we're actually liable to fall. Now, now, this isn't falling from grace. This isn't about losing one's salvation. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking to believers plainly. We see this in verse 1. He calls them brothers. We are positionally secure in Christ. That's been evident throughout this letter. But as believers, we are in danger of falling into serious sin and therefore facing the disciplinary hand of God's judgment. And that's, that's what he's speaking about. So Paul's talking to these I call them spiritually self-confident Christians in Corinth here. These Christians in Corinth, they're so sure of themselves. They're so certain of their own spiritual strength. They're so annoyed by Paul's warnings about danger. Why are you telling us these things? So in this section of this letter, these people, they're flirting with sin. Not just flirting with it, they're embracing it and running after it. And so Paul's dealing here with this issue again in the section of chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's dealing with this issue of eating meals uh, in these pagan temples that, in, in, in connection with idolatry. And he, and he says there's real spiritual danger in this practice. There's real danger. And that's, 
That's going to be crystal clear in the verses that follow, as we'll see next week. But these, these Corinthian Christians, they're, they're just poo-pooing on Paul's warnings here. They, they, they want nothing. They're complaining. Paul, what are you so upset about? Why are you so worked up? Just calm down. There's no danger for us here. They're, we're saved. We're fine. We're strong. We're spiritual people. We have knowledge. We have gifts. We have the sacraments. We have baptism, the Lord's table. What could possibly happen to us? That's what they're saying. They're just totally dismissive of Paul's warnings here of danger. You ever find this in the church today? Of course we do. Many Christians, we, we, can, we can be similarly careless when we think about temptation and sin. We can, we can rely upon our church membership. We can rely upon church attendance. We can rely upon ordinances or sound theology or, or some standard of morality. And we think, I'm fine. I'm not in any real danger. I'm good. I, I'm not, there's no chance of any kind of catastrophic fall or spiritual failure from me. And Paul would say to us as well, he'd say, be careful. Brothers and sisters, be careful that you do not fall. Verse 12 again, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so what we're going to see in this passage here, he gives us these three very compelling reasons, brothers and sisters, for us to, to be careful. And I'll give them to you quickly, and then we'll hit them one by one. First reason we need to be careful is because our privileges won't protect us. Our privileges don't protect. Second, because temptations don't terminate. Temptations, they, they don't terminate. They don't have an end. And third, because God won't give up. God will not give up. So let's be careful. First, be careful because privileges don't ultimately protect. And so these Corinthians, they're, they're, they're very pleased with themselves. They're very proud of themselves. They're very aware of, of all of the spiritual privileges that they've received. And so they, have, they held their heads extremely high, shoulders up. And, and so as we read between the lines of this passage here, we, we can see they were especially proud that they had the sacraments. And so they seem to have this almost magical conception of baptism in the Lord's table. They place tremendous trust in these and, and, and seemingly more than in Christ to whom they pointed by what Paul says to them. And so they thought, how could we ever fall into sin? I mean, we've been baptized. We, we eat the Lord's Supper regularly. We've been so privileged by God. How could we of all people possibly be in danger? And Paul says, no, 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 no. Your, your privileges are great and you should cherish them, but they're not enough to keep you from falling. They're not crutches to lean on. And so he makes this argument then in these first five verses. And the argument is this, is that other people in the past, Israel, they've been, they were also incredibly privileged. Other people have received unbelievable blessings from God. And yet they not only fell into spiritual danger, they, they, they met complete spiritual meltdown. Privilege is it's just not enough. And it's fascinating to see how Paul deals with these puffed up believers there in Corinth. He's, he's talking to Christians, most of whom ha have come from Greek and Gentile backgrounds, and, and they've only been believers now for a few years, and yet he bases his whole case on this very deep and intricate exposition of, of the Old Testament. And you, So you see his argument there, as we just read a moment ago. He goes back to Israel's exodus from Egypt. And he says, our fathers 
Our forefathers were delivered from Pharaoh. They were brought safely through the Red Sea. Not only that, God gave them manna from heaven, this, this miraculous food to eat and sustain our bodies. And she's saying, what, what privilege they had. And he goes on this, not only this, the Lord provided them with water in the middle of the desert from, from a rock. And this rock, it's, it's as if it followed them and they were never, ever thirsty in that barren wilderness. What, what privilege. And now Paul, then you, so, so you see the way he does this. He does this very cleverly and very, very tellingly. And so to make his point, he describes this to the Corinthians in these very New Testament-like terms. And, and look how he paints this uh, and, and recalls this of Israel's history. He paints it in their terms. Look at verse 2. Let's just read it then again. He says, all were baptized into Moses. You see that word baptized, into Moses, identified with him in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And so Paul's recounting these events and here's the point. I know there's a lot there, but he, he, the point he's making is you Corinthians, you're boasting about your great privileges and you're trusting in them. Nothing can happen to us. We've been baptized. We've eaten the Lord's Supper. We've received Christ. But he's saying, but these people had privileges too. They, 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 had, they had privileges like you. They, you aren't the only ones to have experienced these powerful signs of God's grace and favor and sustaining power towards you. And yet, despite all of these incredible privileges and gracious provisions of God, look at verse 6, nevertheless... Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. When he says with most of them, that's an incredible understatement. God was not pleased with, with almost all of them, except two, in some cases, Joshua and Caleb. Way to name your boys, Glorvigans. You did well. Um, but in spite of all of their privileges, in spite of their redemption from Egypt, in spite of their identification with Moses, in spite of this heavenly food and drink from God, in spite of all of those things, they didn't enter the promised land. They died in the wilderness. Their Numbers 14 says their bodies were scattered all over the desert. It's a, it's a dismal picture. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, don't rely on your privileges. Don't think you're safe because you have the sacraments. Don't think just because you've been so blessed by God in Christ that, that you have this infinite expense account to spend upon sin. You can just spend and spend. He's saying to spiritually self-confident people like us, he's saying, listen, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. You know why? Because that crutch of privilege that you're leaning so heavily on, it's going to buckle under the weight of temptation and sin. Privilege, it's insufficient to protect you ultimately. We need this word. We're privileged people. We have, we have so many spiritual and physical privileges and we could spend the whole morning elaborating on those and recounting those, but the subtle danger for us is that we misuse those privileges to insulate us from God rather than bringing us closer to God. And so instead of, us, instead of them being this avenue into God's presence where it draws us into Him, we use them as a barrier behind which we hide so we can sin. That's what the Corinthians were doing. I don't need to worry. 
I'm a member of Baraka Bible Church. I'm, I have great grasp of sound doctrine. I read the Puritans. I, I listen to all kinds of Christian podcasts. I've been brought up in a Christian home. I'm, I'm moral. I'm conservative. I'm good. I'm self-disciplined. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm, I'm a senior pastor. And subtly, almost unconsciously and, and imperceptibly and very gradually, it's possible for you and me to begin to rest upon privileges from God and depend, depend upon those rather than upon Christ. And we find our security there rather than in Jesus. And so the first reason we need to be careful, need to be careful that we don't fall, is because privileges won't ultimately protect us. Privilege isn't enough to keep us from falling into serious sin that brings God's discipline. Second, second reason we need to be careful is because temptations don't terminate. See this in verses 6 to 11. So tem temptations to sin, they don't have a shelf life, an expiration date. They, they, are, they are ever present for us. And so the proud Corinthians may have said, well, Paul, that's fine. You know, to, to talk about Israel long ago, hundreds of years ago in the desert, that was different. You know, let, but we're living in the present world. I mean, look at all we have. And, and what, what do all of those sins from long ago have to do with us? And Paul says, those aren't the sins of days gone by. Those, those are your sins. Sins of today, they threaten you as much as they threatened them. So verse 6, you see, now these, these things, all this... All that's happened that took place as examples, as the, the word is literally types. It's a, it was a, it, there were types of the same kind of temptations we face, types for us that we might not desire or crave evil as they did. What evil, what sins does he have in mind? He mentions four, idolatry, immorality, rebelliousness, and grumbling. And let's just look at these quickly. And so we see the first one in verse 7, idolatry. At the core of Israel's sin problem, at the core of the Corinthian sin problem, at the core of our sin problem, it's a worship problem. He says in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is hearkening back to Exodus chapter 32, after being delivered by the great I Am, out of this idolatrous land, what happens? The Hebrews, they begin fashioning this, <laughs> this little golden calf and they declare this idol is the one who's responsible for their freedom. It's crazy. And they have this feast together as part of their worship of this little golden calf. And so, But you connect that. Think of the Corinthians. The Corinthians, they've been redeemed out of this overtly and openly pagan culture, temples and statues and idols all over the place. And the whole issue Paul's dealing with in this context here is the practice of some who were going into these pagan temples and feasting. There were kind of these like holiday meals and traditional cultural meals that were, but, but connected to those meals, like we'd go to the restaurants, that, that connected to these were these elements of idolatry. And they, and they couldn't be separated. And so Paul's going to say to them in the next section, you need to stop that. You've got to flee idolatry. Don't go to those meals. Stay away. But, but what I want you to see, idolatry is not just an ancient problem. It's, it's our temptation. We, we, we may not worship literal statues and images and, 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 or, or attend ritual meals at pagan temples together, uh, but we have a real worship problem. We have a real idolatry problem. And an, an idol is, is just anything created, anything that's made that claims the place in our hearts that only God should have. 
That's an idol. So, so we have to acknowledge that this is true. Now, it's easier for us to recognize idols in other people's lives. It's easier to recognize idols in the culture and the wider world. Um, but, but we can oftentimes be oblivious to the own idols of our own hearts. So here, just real quick, here's a little self-test to help you think whether your heart might be occupied by things other than God, sometimes even good things. Just some questions. What, what do you feel you need to have in order to be happy? I'd be happy if, fill in the blank, I, I was loved and respected. That might be the idol of approval. If I, could, if I could just enjoy a particular quality of life, the idol of comfort, if I could get more control of my life in some area, idol of control, if I could be more productive and get a lot done, then I'd be happy. If, if people would recognize my accomplishments, this idol of achievement, if I had a certain level of wealth and financial freedom or nice things, if I could get into a certain social group, if my parents or, or children were happy or they were at least happy with me, I could make our family an idol. I, I, I'd be happy if I could just look a certain way or be a certain size. That's one question. Another question to ask, what do you think about? What consumes your thoughts? What do you think about when you go to bed at night? What do you, what do you wake up thinking about in the morning? That, that's indicative of what, my, what some of your idols might be. What do you spend a lot of time on each day? What do you worry about? What would you have a hard time giving up for a month, let's say? What do you escape to when you're having a hard time in life? Do you just run to entertainment and, 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 and to, to be distracted? Do you, do you run to substances? Do you run to you know, working out, that kind of thing? What are you constantly running to when you, when you have a hard time? What are you most proud of? What do you, what do you want to be known for? What do you hide from others? What do you talk about too much on the other end? What do you, what do you always lead with in conversations? That might be indicative. What, what, what would you not be able to live without? So I hope it's clear, just that and then we can go on and on with that, but I hope it's clear that this temptation is alive and well. And, and that's, why, that's why Paul's saying we need to be careful. We don't fall because this, this temptation, it's, it's, it's here, it's present, we face it. Second, temptation. It's to immorality. Verse 8 says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. He's talking here about Numbers 25. The, the men of Israel, they had intercourse with these idolatrous uh, women of Moab and, and joined in the sacred meal. You note that in the context of this letter. And at that meal, they worshiped Baal. And, and it was after that meal that God, God sent this plague and it just decimated the people of Israel and wiped 23, 23 24,000 out in a day. And so that's what Paul's saying here. That's Corinth 1.0. You're, you're no different. You're, you're just the next generation. The, Corinth was this hyper-sexualized city. Pagan worship and sexual immorality were mingled together and inseparable. And, and, and what we've already seen in this letter is that the church was not immune to this. There are Christians, this was the sexual sin was a huge problem with Christians in Corinth. And Paul's dealt with that already in this letter. letter. And, and we don't have to wonder and look around and scratch our heads thinking, is this a problem today? Is this some, a temptation we could possibly face? Of course it is. Outside in the culture and society and in the church. It's everywhere. It's so normalized. It's, it's made into entertainment. I mean, pornography is epidemic. 
There, there is a kind of sexual obsession in our culture, and so certainly you have to say that this is a reason we need to be careful. This temptation is ever-present. Third, he speaks of rebelliousness or testing the Lord. Verse 9, we, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And this goes back to Numbers chapter 21. The people of Israel, there they're, they're, they, were, they were questioning God's faithfulness in providing for them. And so they complained against God to Moses and they asked him the question, why have you brought us out of Egypt? You're supposed to be better. You're supposed to bring us into this better land. And this is, this is worse. And so God responds with judgment in Numbers 21.6. But just to connect that to Corinth and to us, the, the same temptation to kind of bow up against God and, and challenge Him and, and, and question Him, it, 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 was, it was found in Corinth. And, it's, and it's, we face the same temptation. And it's rooted, it's rooted in unbelief. It's rooted in unbelief. And that leads to the, to the fourth sin that he highlights here, and that's grumbling. Verse 10, nor grumble or complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I mean, this is so common among the people of Israel. There's, we have no idea which, if there was a particular passage or particular instance of grumbling that Paul has in mind here because there are loads of examples in the Old Testament of God's people grumbling of Israel grumbling. And so they grumbled because they didn't have enough water. They grumbled because the food was bland. They grumbled because they didn't like the wilderness. They grumbled because they thought Moses was a bad leader. They grumbled because they missed Egypt. They grumbled because they weren't yet in the promised land. You know, how much longer uh, they, they grumbled because they thought God had let them down. When they didn't get what they wanted, they, they complained bitterly. And they, and they re complained relentlessly against the Lord and against His ordained Leadership. And so we see this in Numbers chapter 14 and 16 and 17 and on and on and on. Now this was, again, something we've already seen was, a, was an ongoing perennial problem in Corinth. One that Paul's already addressed. They tended to grumble. They tended to complain and rebel against those that had been placed in authority over them. And complaining and murmuring. And if we're honest, again, this is a perennial temptation for us as well. Most of us could be honorary members of Grumblers Anonymous. We, 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 this is our default. This is our, this is our natural place to go. We, and we understand, we have to understand, I hope you do, that grumbling, it's not, it's not ultimately about people and circumstances and, and difficulties and in circumstantial ways, our experiences. Grumbling is ultimately, even if unconsciously, grumbling is directed to God. Saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You, you've, you've messed up, you're missing out. So when we grumble, we're, we're doing one of two things, or maybe both at the same time, most likely. One, we're, we're, we're overestimating ourselves and our own importance. We're, we're, we think we deserve better. We think we're entitled to more. That's what we're saying when we grumble. We have a lack of gratitude. And then the other thing is we're underestimating God and His providence and His grace. We're minimizing what he's doing and what he's up to because we say, no, you're doing it wrong, God. And so, again, these temptations have not expired to, to idolatry, to immorality, to rebelliousness, to complaining. They are alive and well today just as they were in Corinth and Paul's days. And so you can just read, watch the news, uh, look for idolatry, immorality, rebelliousness, and, and complaining, and you will not have to look long. And... If we're honest, again, 
just take a, a short inventory of, our, of your own thoughts and your own words and your own actions for a day and see how present these temptations and sins are for us. And so Paul sang to these self-confident Corinthians, he sang to us, you're doing exactly what Israel did. You're no better. And yet you have the nerve to say, nothing bad can happen to us. We won't ever fall. When your fathers, they did the exact same things and they were terribly judged by God. So this is his word. Be careful. Be careful because your privileges won't ultimately protect you. Secondly, because temptation to sin, it never terminates. It's always present. Its sin will always be attractive. We won't ever outgrow these temptations. We'll always find them alluring. And then third reason to be careful is because God's not going to give up. God won't give up. You see, verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But in verse 13, he, Paul tempers his very pointed warning with this important word of pastoral encouragement. And so this, this, this gives us the third reason to be careful. It's that God, God is faithful. God is faithful. He, he will not give up. Now I'm sure many of you have memorized this verse. You turn to it often in times of temptation, I hope. But verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so, I think what this speaks to behind this, we could say there are these, there are these lies which the devil whispers to us that keep us from, from being careful not to fall. And if we buy into them, we'll, we'll be robbed of the power to resist. And so just listen to these. Don't, firstly, don't believe the lie that your temptation is unique. Satan loves to trap us in thinking that our, that our temptations that we face are one of a kind. Nobody else deals with this. Because you begin, when you begin to believe that, you begin to conclude something like this, that the, the, the normal remedies that God has given us, they don't work for me. They may work for others, but they don't work for me. They, there, there really is no help for me because I'm a unique case. Paul says, no, no, no temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. You are, you are in a special case. Second, don't believe the lie that you are powerless in the face of temptation. He says, God is faithful. and He will not let you be, temp- be tempted beyond your ability, beyond your power. If, if, if it's another lie of Satan that he likes to trap us with, it's, it's this, is there's nothing you can do. You're helpless. You're, you're in the grip of this thing and you're just stuck. There's no way out. And so what, what do we begin to do when we, when we begin to believe that lie? Well, we begin to say, well, if there's nothing to do, why fight? Why, why struggle? Since all struggle is futile, why, why battle with this? I'll, I'll just sign a truce with my sin. Just live with it. Listen, dear brother and sister, if you, if you are born again, if you've been born again, you have the Spirit of Jesus Christ inside of you, and He lives in you, and you are not perfectly, not at all. Often you will stumble and fall, to be sure, just as we all do, but you are by the grace of God able not to sin, not to give in to temptation. Your your life, we can feel like this way, but it's not true. Your life is not hopelessly cyclical. Just kind of this wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. 
That's not it. God has made you new and, you, and He will make you new and you will have victory one day. There is that, that promise and that prospect. And so stay in the fight. That's what he's saying to these Corinthians. Be careful. Stay in the fight. He will, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. And that brings us to the third lie. It says don't believe the lie that there's no way out of temptation. There is a way of escape that God provides in His kindness and providence that we may endure in our temptation. There's always an out. The Greek word, a, a way of escape, it's, it's, it's used in other literature at that time of an army who's, who's, who's trapped in this kind of narrow gorge and, and surrounded by their enemies. And all of a sudden, there's, like, there's a gap in the rock in the wall of the canyon, and they can, they can make their way out and, and, and to, 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 to safety. That's the way out. So Paul, this is the word he used. There's a way out. You can turn, you can turn off the TV. You can, you can click away from the site. You can, you can put filters on your devices. You can confess your sin to a trusted brother or sister in Christ and, 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 and get the accountability you need. You can cry out for help. You can, you can get out of, you can get out of there. You don't have to keep playing with fire. You can flee temptation. You can cry out to the Lord in the midst of, 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 of the crisis of your temptations. Change is possible by the grace of God. Why? Because you are so amazing and you have this wellspring of, of self-control and, and power inside of you. No. Why is it possible? Because God is faithful. He is faithful. He, he never gives up. And so then we can get to verse 14 and, and here's the big climactic moment and he's going to expand upon this and we'll see this next week. Therefore... Because of this, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Take the way out. I, I, we skipped verse 12. I'll just come back to it and we'll conclude with this. It says in verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful that you don't fall. I hope it's clear to you now that there's, there's no room for complacency here. No room for playing around with sin and temptation. There's no room for taking these things lightly. That for, for you, as for me, a painful fall is a very real possibility. We need to understand that a fall that could so hurt and damage us that it might take us years to recover from it. A fall that might give us scars that we carry for the rest of our lives. Falling is no joke in the literal physical world. As we talked about at the beginning, you can get hurt when you fall. You break things. You can be badly injured. You can be disabled and sidelined by a fall. And your fall affects other people who are caring for you. And, and so Paul's saying, Christians, you can fall. And you can fall very painfully and very badly. And who's the person most likely to fall? person who thinks he's never going to fall. That's what these Corinthians were at. They're so confident in themselves. You've seen the YouTube videos of you know the teenager that's running on ice, thinking he's invincible and he's you know he's he's so sure of himself, and then psh, wipes out. And there's all kinds of examples we can think of of the truth that we know from Proverbs 16:18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, which of the twelve disciples denied Jesus? The one who said. Never, ever, ever, never, ever, that's the literal Greek translation, will I deny you, Jesus. It's not going to happen. Be careful that you don't fall. This is a tremendously serious word for us, church. You could fall. I could fall. Publicly or privately, 
shamefully, damagingly, and falling is no joke. The only way not to fall, Paul says, is to take heed, is to be careful. Are you careful? Are you careful as a Christian? Are you careful where you go? Are you careful who you're with? Are you careful what you do with your friends? Are you careful what you watch on TV, what you listen to, what you read? Are you careful on the internet? Are you careful on social media? Are you careful with the thoughts that you entertain and, and that, that linger in your mind? Be careful. There's danger all around, Paul says. The spirit of the age, of our age, it tells us not to be careful. I mean, there are, there are, there are even modern versions of Christianity that, that ridicule, that laugh at carefulness. That we have the Spirit, we're new creatures, we, we don't need to be careful, we just go traipsing happily through life and everything's fine, nothing can happen to us. Paul would say to overconfident Christians like that, like us, he would say, be careful. You're heading for a fall. I hope no one's thinking like that this morning. I won't ever fall. I hope you don't think that. Uh, and if you do, I, I hope that you'll throw that, cast that thought away quickly. Even the strongest among us, brothers and sisters, the most stable of us, it is only, only the Lord's upholding of us that keeps us upright. That's all we can attribute it to. Now listen, this is a sobering word, but it is not a word that lacks hope. <laughs> and the hope is not, again, looking inside of us and, and gathering, enough, you know, finding the reservoir deep inside of us where we can, we can pull our, have our act together. No, our hope is in looking to Christ together. We remember that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, He was, what does the Scripture say? He was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Without sin. Listen, it's in Him, it's in Christ that we have all of the resources we need, both for forgiveness when temptation overwhelms us and we do fall into sin, and very damaging sin, and he, there's hope for us there, everything we need in Christ for the change and progress and transformation that we don't have to keep falling in the same ways again and again. It's all in Christ. So we need to look to Him. We need to rest on Him. We need to not presume upon His grace, but cling to it with urgency and with utter desperation, trusting that He is a sufficient Savior in all of our temptations and all of our trials. Let's pray together, church. We pray, dear Father, that you will help us individually as members of this church and collectively as a church family to be spiritually careful. We can think of ways in which other people are being careless and, and, and yet we can be blind to the ways in which we're being careless. There are those obvious ways that are very well documented and make the headlines and, and, and there are those more subtle ways that we are, we are self-confident and careless. And so we ask, Lord, we, we ask that you would keep us from being morbid and, and, in, and overly introspective and overscrupulous, you, you know, from being hunted by the fear of doing wrong. That's not what you want for us. We pray that our carefulness wouldn't become legalism or rigidity or, or some kind of unwillingness to take risks or to try anything new. But we do pray, oh God, that our carefulness will 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 not make us timid, unenterprising in your work. But on the other hand, oh Lord, we pray that we will be we won't be reckless 
that we will not be self-confident, that we won't ignore the, wor- the clear warnings of your word, that wisely, courageously, creatively, we, we may nonetheless be very careful that we don't fall. And it may be, it may be Lord, that there's someone here that's watching or gathered in this assembly this morning who's almost at the end of their tether as they wrestle against temptation, and it just seems too powerful and too pervasive and too strong for them. So cheer them with this thought, Lord. You, you are faithful. You are faithful. And we pray that you will help them to see the way out that you provided and that they would be willing to take it by your enabling. Help them to believe that until, until then you will sustain them and keep them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.